0: Hi, and welcome to the DebtWire Middle Market Podcast. I'm Maura Sadovi, Senior Reporter with DebtWire, and today we're going to be talking about the state of play in middle market lending with two partners from Austin and Bird, Mike Parisi and Paul Hespel. Mike leads Austin and Bird's corporate debt finance team and regularly guides private credit and bank lenders through intricate cash flow and asset-based lending transactions, including sponsor-backed leveraged buyouts and acquisition financing. Paul is a partner in the firm's finance group and has over 20 years of experience counseling clients on corporate finance and restructuring engagements. Welcome, Mike and Paul.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: To start off, can you both tell us a little bit about the type of work you specialize in with regard to middle market and some of the recent situations you've been involved in?
2: Happy to. I work on middle market transactions involving both bank and non-bank lenders, primarily representing private debt funds on a variety of transactions through a variety of industries. Recently, the majority of my transactions have involved software technology businesses, healthcare businesses, and manufacturing. What I've noticed most is a stark contrast between special situations and traditional sponsor leverage finance in that the sponsor leverage finance situations here are fiercely competitive, leading to very loose terms, as opposed to special situations where documentation looks very, very different, um, very tight documents, And uh, that is still stemming from some of the situations we're addressing coming out of COVID.
0: Hmm, Interesting. And uh, Paul, can you talk a little bit about your outlook?
1: Yes, uh, certainly. I am mostly focused on uh, transactional finance matters, including transactional finance matters in uh, distressed settings. And uh, mostly worked uh, on the new origination transactions in uh, industries very similar to what Mike mentioned. Uh, business services, IT, software, and healthcare. And then in the restructuring environment, we have mostly worked in industries that have been disproportionately and negatively affected by COVID, which is mostly transportation, tourism, and restaurants. So I concur with uh, Mike that uh, we are sort of in a situation where... Uh, we both on the same day would uh, have the ability to work on your origination matters and restructuring matters given uh, the COVID environment where in a more traditional environment, you would either do uh, one or the other given the strength or the weakness of the surrounding uh, economy.
0: So is it a bit of a tale of two cities then?
1: It certainly is. It's uh, a tale of two cities or as we've come out of COVID, it's really what uh, people refer to as a K recovery Um, depending on which uh, industry you're uh, active in.
0: To pull back, some say the middle market leveraged loan sector is not only recovered from the pandemic, but on fire. What are each of your views on the state of play right now in middle market loans?
2: The, the middle market really took off toward the end of the summer of 2020 following COVID and never really looked back. Certain industries have, have been really, really uh, strong, mainly software and technology, and that has attracted a lot of attention from different lenders. I think in the private credit space, we've seen a lot more lenders competing for deals. And again, it's leading to much better terms for sponsors. Certain funds are starting to move up market and try to write bigger checks. And they're challenging what I'll call the mainstays of the private credit market, also creating more competition uh, in the middle market and upper middle market. So again, when we have this competition in the market, it gives private equity firms, their counsel, more options. It creates more competitive dynamic and drives much better terms. There's more pressure on pricing. Leverage continues to trend upwards. Uh, And a lot of the times that's in support of M&A strategies.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the arc of the sector's pandemic recovery in comparison to large cap? Has it been the tracking the same way or differently?
1: I think it's not necessarily a recovery that the recovery was different within the middle market versus the large cap market, where the recovery was really centered around, was really around what industries are you focused on. And as Mike mentioned, um, towards the end of the summer of 2020, there was a significant recovery in um, investments, both on the equity and the debt side, especially in markets or in industries that were uh, well positioned to uh, either take advantage of COVID or were not uh, affected by COVID. Think about the whole uh, business services, working from home, information technology, software services, which were really industries that the ample availability of equity and debt capital basically uh, started investing in, which had led to very competitive situations in those industries versus really the industries that are negatively affected by COVID.
2: We've also observed covenant light structures coming down market, whereas 50 million of EBITDA was the prevalent threshold. We've seen deals or businesses that around 25, 30, 35 million of EBITDA being offered covenant light structures. We've even had situations where a private credit fund that was providing a second lien to one of our sponsor clients has come in and offered to refinance the entire transaction on a unitranche basis and offer a covenant covenant light structure uh, there. So, you know, a lot of competition, a lot of creativity and structures, and funds are getting pretty aggressive to to pick up market share.
0: Is that the larger funds that are coming down and to help smaller middle market companies? Is is that what's happening?
2: They're, they're what I would call the mainstays again. I mean, they're definitely larger private credit providers and what they're doing is they're coming in and they see these, the trajectory of some of these businesses that maybe when the deal is closed, they were 10 million of EBITDA and uh, they see the growth, they see the trajectory and they see an opportunity to go in there and refinance this business at 30 million and continue supporting the business as it grows and maybe gets to that threshold of 50 million.
1: That, that is correct, and I also think it's a, a function of the arc of the M&A transactions that we've seen in the last uh, 5 to 10 years, where funds, private equity funds, have a- essentially tried to create uh, larger platforms out of smaller players and try to bet on the fact that 1 plus 1 equals 3. And so the credit facilities and the, the, the financing arrangements are now being structured in such a way that it needs to provide the flexibility for private equity f- uh, players to essentially uh, build and grow their platform and therefore get access to further liquidity without necessarily having to adjust their existing credit arrangements. So what essentially are larger credit facilities or the terms of larger credit facilities have now been pushed down to smaller deals in the expectation that uh, Various equity investments would uh, grow and blossom to become 30 million, 50 million type EBITDA businesses.
0: You mentioned that there's a divide in the types of industries and how they are doing in the loan market. How are the terms different for, say, the software versus the other, you know, maybe hospitality that might be struggling a little more?
2: Yeah, happy to, happy to share perspective there. I mean, I think the, the terms you see in software deals are pretty much the gold standard, right? And what we see is just permissibility, right? Permissive baskets, the ability for businesses to go out and incur uh, a good amount of other debt, right? Not just a fixed basket that's governed by a dollar cap. It's the ability to go out and incur uh, debt up to a particular leverage threshold under a separate credit facility. So that's one example. Other examples are the ability to take unlimited unlimited dividends, unlimited distributions, also um, governed by a pro forma leverage test. Those types of features are not going to be prevalent in what I'll call multi-site deals, for instance, right? Like uh, fitness facilities, restaurants that struggled during COVID. A lot of those deals are being refinanced and they're being refinanced into uh, into tighter credit facilities, tighter credit documentation. Some manufacturing businesses that might have struggled, some businesses that are restructuring the credit facilities they are seeing are having what I'll, what I'll refer to as purposeful flexibility. So the features that you see in those credit agreements are features that are there because there's some purpose, there's an ask that's been made of the lender and the lender is thinking through how they may be comfortable allowing those actions to be taken. Whereas in the software deals and some of the more competitive deals, that's not the way the process works. The way the process works is there's, there are proposed terms that are submitted to lenders that are interested in providing the financing, and those lenders don't really have an opportunity to talk about how they structure baskets uh, based on purpose. It's really a competitive process, and the sponsor is going to pick the best terms it receives without regard to to purpose. Generally speaking,
1: yeah, no, I would agree uh, with that. Uh, I, I, I like your uh, term of purposeful flexibility. I think in the sponsor market, it's uh, blank check flexibility and the reality is that in a in a, a particular context the type of terms you will ultimately get will in part be dependent on what industry you're in and how well it's doing but more importantly i think uh, these days is really the process by which the the credit facility comes to fruition in the sense that you're markedly likely to have borrower-friendly terms in a process that Mike described, where you have a number of private, you have a uh, basically private equity sponsor who's trying to play out the various lenders against each other through um, grids and, and negotiating grids with each and each and every one of them, um, and sort of uh, have them come to the most flexible term sheet that they then will agree to. Um, So part and parcel is essentially who sits around the table. I mean, obviously, if you have a sponsor around the table with a uh, process of um, uh, developing a grid that obviously will lead to more flexible terms. The other sort of aspect to this is that which markets are you planning to place the debt into? And um, if it's a widely syndicated transactions, which obviously you sometimes see or often see in the middle market, you more likely have a panoply of lenders that are less invested in the terms of the credit facility, maybe also because they are CDOs and CLOs uh, investing in the middle market. And therefore, you're more likely to have in a broadly syndicated transaction, uh, looser terms and less uh, lender protections.
0: And do you see the type of industries that are going to have these tighter terms changing you know as we're further into the pandemic is that sort of mix changing
1: i think that what we're probably going to see is that as we are getting out of the pandemic and i don't know if we will ever really be out of the pandemic but i think there is a new normal developing where you know, certain industries will continue to be less profitable given the new uh, normal as we've changing our habits around working from home and travel, etc. And it's likely that those industries will continue to maybe be less recipient of investment funds, either from the equity side or the debt side versus the more the industries that we, we talked about earlier that, that are seeming to uh, do well given the pandemic.
0: Is there a sort of black and white anywhere where you, you can say what has changed in terms of loan terms, you know, before the pandemic, after the pandemic in the middle market?
2: I don't think so. I, I think that in the most competitive deals, which is, which is the majority of what I see, we've returned to where we left off. If anything, there's, there's more competition. So in many respects, I've seen the terms become even more borrower friendly.
1: I would uh, I would agree with that. I think the last quarter of uh, 2019, which was the first full uh, fiscal quarter prior to COVID, was in itself already a fairly frothy market. And that market was paused through uh, part of 2020 and sort of resumed towards the end of the summer of 20. And we have continued to see basically erosion of lender protections because of two uh, things. One is really the fact that the market has become more competitive, as uh, Mike mentioned, but also because of the fact that fewer industries are available for investments given uh, the new normal that we're in with, uh, with COVID.
0: Early on in 2021, there was some expectation that mandatory prepayments and negative covenants might play a bigger role this year in middle market. Has that not played out as expected?
2: I think the way it's played out is that we've seen a softening and specifically, as it relates to mandatory prepayments, we see a more restricted scope of events that give rise to mandatory prepayments for asset sales. We still are seeing asset sales step downs based on leverage levels, higher annual thresholds that would even uh, result in a requirement for a prepayment, and then longer reinvestment periods. So historically, reinvestment periods have maybe been you know 6, 9, 12 months, maybe with an additional period if the proceeds of an asset sale are committed to be reinvested within a period thereafter. I think on on a regular basis, I'm seeing 12 months plus another six months if committed to being reinvested. Uh, For excess cash flow, sweeps, we're seeing what I call below the line deductions, meaning that items or expenditures that were typically deducted when calculating excess cash flow before determining the payment itself. Uh, we're seeing those items actually deducted on a dollar for dollar basis from the payment so it reduces the ecf payment to virtually nothing and on top of that we've got thresholds that are applicable in middle market transactions and lower middle market market transactions now for excess cash flow payments with a carry-forward concept in the most aggressive deals where if the threshold is not used in its entirety in one year there's credit rolled over to the next year when determining the threshold in that subsequent year so I, i think we're seeing uh, an erosion of the mandatory prepayments that are making their way into credit agreements. I see we think we're even seeing a thinning of the categories of mandatory prepayments. Um, you know, we still regularly see proceeds of unpermitted debt issuances, asset sales, and as I mentioned on a more uh, restricted basis, excess cash flow sweeps. But we're, we're not seeing mandatory prepayments quite as often for items like indemnification proceeds under an acquisition agreement, uh, certainly not for extraordinary receipts generally. In more competitive transactions,
0: so it's increasingly borrower friendly.
2: <laughs> it is, and it's a result of the of the competition in the market, right? Participants in the market that are vying to win deals are willing to accept the market risk associated with probably thinner thinner uh, protections here on the negative covenant front. You mentioned, you know, we see baskets being more permissive. We're seeing basket uh, baskets increase in terms of their percentages. We're seeing growers. Um, even in lower middle market deals, which was historically not, not prevalent. Um, thinning of event of default blockers for certain actions, whereas you know, a couple of years ago, maybe we had as a condition to certain restricted payments or investments, uh, a condition there's no event of default at all, uh, that's thinning out to specified events of default. And even within that universe of specified events of default, there's a lot of play as to what constitutes a specified event of default. We start with payment and bankruptcy. Uh, on the lender side, we try to add on financial covenant, maybe financial reporting, but it's getting increasingly difficult to include those items in the scope of specified events default. I think another thing that I've noticed more prevalent in the middle market, even going down into the lower middle market, is thresholds applicable to negative covenants restricting certain debt payments or prepayments of debt in transactions with affiliates, right? Those thresholds have to be met before the restrictions even apply. And that's certainly commonplace in the middle market. It's not something that I think we've historically seen on a regular basis in the lower middle market, but in these competitive situations in which we find ourselves and our clients find themselves, that's just becoming pretty common.
0: What are the trends impacting loan extensions and access to middle market debt?
2: What I see in terms of loan extensions is that it's wrapped up in an attempt or an effort by lenders to retain assets. Uh, So more specifically, uh, a lender that that might have closed a transaction or did a financing for a business, as I mentioned earlier, where it's the platform acquisition and the business has grown, um, where there's competition in the market and the private equity sponsor, the borrower is getting calls on an unsolicited basis by other funds to refinance. We're seeing clients actually take a proactive approach to this, offer loan extensions, perhaps pricing reductions, offering more leverage to support continued M&A and revisiting covenants. We talked about negative covenants and the loosening of those covenants. We've got a number of transactions that were done during COVID. We have other transactions that were done when a business was a third of its size um, at the time of closing. And our clients are going back in and saying, here are all the things that we can do to support the business. We'll give you more flexibility here. And in connection with that, we'll, we'll go ahead and extend the maturity date. So I think that Loan extensions are being packaged up with other enhancements to uh, entice the bar, entice the sponsor to stay with that lender.
0: And what trends in, terms, uh, in, in loan terms do you both see emerging or fading in 2022?
1: I mean, I think ultimately that will be dependent on uh, very much the market dynamics in 2022 and whether it's a continuation of this market or whether there is going to be some event that sort of um, puts a halt to the uh, availability of of cash in the market to be uh, deployed either in equity or debt. So I, I think it's really a continuation of the same trends, unless there is an intervening event, which uh, might be an inflation shock or um, something akin to that. Uh, but, but at this point, everything seems to indicate that 2022 very well might be a continuation of what we've seen in 2021, and which uh, Mike uh, outlined here as far as the negative covenants are concerned.
2: Yeah, I see continued deal activity at a high volume. The velocity with which deal-making occurs really works in favor of private debt funds as compared to banks. So I think we're going to continue to see private debt funds thrive in this market. They move very, very quickly. They're very agile. Uh, they, they can be more patient than banks can in distressed situations. We certainly saw that in, in COVID. And um, I think that that's going to be something that we see continue. I do think that sponsor borrower friendly structures will continue unless there's some exogenous factor that we're not we're not aware of right now. Um, In terms of what I see fading, it's hard to say. It's hard to say um, that I see lender protections continuing to fade. We've talked a lot about erosion driven by competition, but I guess what I would say is is as long as the market remains as competitive as it is, as long as we have the number of private debt funds in the market competing for deals, I think we are going to continue to see um, erosion around the edges to certain terms that that are customarily been then maybe lender favorable
0: well we're gonna have to wrap up with that mike and paul thank you for sharing your insights it was a pleasure having you
2: thank you for having us thank
1: you